Empire podcast this week, we have a lovely chat with the very well-behaved star of Misbehaviour, Gugu Mbata Raw. Plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that knows it's said in the past that they should stop releasing movies so we can get caught up. But this is ridiculous. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire podcast, which possibly for the last time for a while is coming to you from the dim, dark, dank, grey pod booth yes uh, that is our pod studio and I'm joined by three hopefully non-infectious colleagues of such lethal cunning our geek queen Helen O'Hara is here hello how are you I'm very well thank stockpiled you stockpiled and supernatural and uh, the Hamilton soundtrack I mean that's all I need <laughs> and water and food and I mean, as well th- those I don't have so much of but I've got supernatural and Hamilton I think that should do it next up we have Alex Godfrey hi how, how are you, Alex? What are you stockpiling? I'm ready for the apocalypse. Yeah, well, I think it's ready for you as well, <laughs> in fairness. It's got me a long time ago. <laughs> and last but not least, we have James Dyer. We know what you've stocked up on. I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm in my element. I'm yeah. basically Negan anyway, so this yeah. is. I feel like this is my time to, to shine. West Wing and wet wipes, that's basically all you have. <laughs> yeah. well, I've set up my own little compound where I am a warlord. Barbed wire, you know, usual stuff to keep the water. Barbed wire, I mean, that's a great movie. Yeah, I know. Many, many copies of that just for people to watch. <laughs> it's, all, it's all pretty good. You need many copies of the same film. Yeah, yeah, you do. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I, you know, crossbows, it's all, it's all good. I mean, it's all Je- good. James genuinely has been prepared for the zombie apocalypse mm. for years. Yeah. So this actually is not. Do you have a, a bunker? I feel, this is, I feel this is just an Eddie Don't bunker. Don't tell them if you have a bunker, okay? <laughs> They'll all be trying to get into it. I bet it's, it's an amazing bunker. It's all a bit Cloverfield Lane, like that. <laughs> I bet your bunker's like Patrick Bateman's bunker. If he had one. He's just got a larger telly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Yeah, it's funny because it's true. Yes. And we're trying to find humour in the current situation That's as right. well because, as you may know, everything's fucked. Yeah. It's all fucked. Everything's fucked. What's really um, funny is like I was going through, oh, yeah, I yeah. Was going through uh, like, you know, when studios, distributors, they send out sort of press kits, media drops, for all sorts of things. And I was going, uh, I went up into my loft to find the one that got sent out for Contagion, which I still have. Uh, I've got a couple of others, these sort of how to survive a viral apocalypse media oh kits, my. which I stashed in the loft. I'm like, yes, come on. Did I have a I'm candle sorted. that smelled like Gwyneth Paltrow's Holiest of Holies, or was that just... <laughs> Is it just something she developed that afterwards? Does, that does absolutely keep the virus away. I know that because I read it on the Goop website. <laughs> Allegedly. 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 We should, Allegedly. We should, we should, we should point that out. Oh, my God. We yes. should point that out. Anyway, some gallows humour there for you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, things are escalating, as you, as you know. In case you're buried under a rock, in which case stay there. Yeah. Um, uh, the coronavirus crisis, for it is that, is uh, is getting worse by the by the second, mm. and it's hitting us where it hurts. A Fast and Furious <laughs> film on Tom Hanks, uh, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. It, it's not, it's not okay. It feels like it feels like Hans Gruber in mm. Die Hard. Like sooner or later, maybe I'll get to someone you do care about. And finally, he got to Tom Hanks, Can't and believe. we were like, "This is ridiculous." Okay, Corona, now it's on. Now it's on. Now this it's is on. Not acceptable. Struck down, Tom. You have An made international Tom treasure. Yes. And Rita Wilson, like that. But, but yes. And, and, and Rita Wilson, yes. yes. Both of them, yes. Are they but together? Are they quarantined together? Yes. They are, yes. yes. They are, They've yes. been put on an island with a volleyball. The, the yes. volleyball picture was fake, to be clear. Yeah, but, but it was funny. Was it? It was funny, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, was man. It was a joke, yeah, but it was, it was pretty good. 
Oh, such a shame. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yes, in case you haven't been aware of the news. Uh, so last week, was it last week we were discussing was, the, the yeah. Bond thing being moved back? So Bond 25 moved back. It was meant to open in April. Yep. Then it moved back uh, to November uh, to give some some breathing space for the corona crisis to be resolved then after that there was Peter Rabbit 2 yeah, I mean, was the second one to the hit big one. but that also has some myxomatosis concerns as well so you, you can't you can't double up there can you that's what I said that's <laughs> true that was my joke I, that's, that's what I tweeted the other day oh. Hells well, what can you do what can you do you gotta be pretty sharp to get me we're all feeling good, right? We're all feeling good about ourselves. Um, Super anyway, good. I'm feeling like Bruce Campbell at the end of Army of Darkness. <laughs> Which ending? The apocalyptic ending. <laughs> Not fun in a supermarket. The one ending. where he accidentally sleeps until he like, sleeps the end of the day. Or the one where it's shop smart, shop S smart. The one where he goes shop smart, shop S smart, but there's no bog rolls left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the deadites have done a run on them. <laughs> Uh, we're laughing because we didn't. This would be a podcast <laughs> entirely composed of four people crying in a room. But anyway, it's it's so then Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson came yes. down with the coronavirus, but they seem to be fine. They're down in Australia and, you know, they, they, they're, they're getting through it and they will be OK. Mm. Listen, if they could survive being in volunteers together, they could survive <laughs> anything. I like to think of us as like we'll be podcasting through the apocalypse, like the band that played on during the sinking of the Titanic. We'll be rambling <laughs> on not about the best films. analogy. Oh everyone <laughs> dies around us. This is no, that's no, that's not okay. You, you saying you won't do it, Helen? I mean, obviously, I'm going to remotely pod. I'm just not uh, clearly. I'm not really super good. We with have. The dying we should thing. say, as a sort of PSA, we have got a system we can pod remotely so even from isolation we oh can yes be people in at home are so relieved yeah. by that yeah. oh, oh thank that's god that's what know, people were worried about I can't go to work you know we're <laughs> yes. dying we haven't got any toilet roll to wipe our asses with but don't worry the Empire podcast will still be with us yes and what's the film Friday. news this week none what is the what are the <laughs> what? movie releases this <laughs> week yeah. none so review section now and uh, it's time to tell you what's out in the multiplexes this week and it is um, <laughs> nothing oh they're re-releasing Fast and Furious 4 at uh, a cinema near Rye. Would you like to go see that? 300-mile walk? No? Okay, we're good. Rye's not 300 miles from here, um, and there is a cinema in Rye. Is there? There is. Anyway, but uh, I'm. I, listen, I'm confident. I've been to that cinema. It's in an old church. It is. It's very nice. Yeah. Very nice cinema. I'm it's confident. worldly, Alex. Rye. I'm confident that this will be... Mitigated soon, that uh, you know that will you know, there be periods of self isolation, perhaps a national period of self isolation, mm. and self flagellation, uh, self flagellation, and and slowly but surely the tide. Will I turn. agree with you. In fact, it's a funny thing. I had a dream last night. Was, a woman came to me. Her name was Mother Abigail, and she asked me if I could go on a journey. It was uh, it was an interesting. First of all, interesting one. You would get round the flag, <laughs> and you flag. fucking know it. <laughs> it's true. It was Vegas was the destination. It can be said. So. Damn it! <laughs> you are trash can man. <laughs> if, if, if ever I saw one. Yeah, I am off to Nebraska. Yeah, you're, you're off, off to, to Vegas. Yeah. No yeah. question. Uh, but then, as we were just about to record this, there came news that a Quiet Place Part Two. Uh, has moved back indefinitely yeah. and this is a big one because that was meant to come out next week mm. and I was due to interview Emily Blunt and John Krasinski on Monday as well we were meant to see it tomorrow mm. slash today if you're listening to this on Friday March 13th unlucky for us because that's not going to happen anymore um, and then of course Fast 9 Fast, Fast nine. nine. Oh, they as really we got us where it hurts. Yeah, they really did. As we, as we were recording our onward spoiler special, which will be up uh, very, very soon, came the news that it's moved back, but not like Bond, six months, but, but by a whole year mm. to the slot that had previously been held 
by Fast and Furious 10, which to my knowledge hasn't even started filming yet. So you can maybe see why they would push that back a little bit. So there's a lot to talk now that Mulan's going to push back, that you know that April might be a bit of a wasteland, cinematically speaking, cinemas might be, even be closed, might even be a governmental decree mm. to, that, to that effect. Which, of, as we speak, is not happening. Those kind of no. public um, but, gatherings are still okay. Yeah, but, but I mean, but it is all all right because TVs will still work and the Pilot TV podcast oh God, will be there. Oh, Jesus Read Christ. The room, Every James. show Jesus Christ. Drop, Read the room. Live this from is your my bunker. time. <laughs> Read the room. I, I, it's a horrible room to read. Yeah, yeah it's true. Your yeah. dying words are going to be. Yeah, this is unprecedented. This is huge, and obviously, it's going to affect people seriously. There's going to be a huge economic downturn as well. Uh, people are going to have lots of problems. There's going to be deaths on a major scale, of course, and it seems a little bit ridiculous. to be sitting here complaining that a movie has moved back by a year. But what do we make of all this? I mean, when's it going to end? Do you think Black Widow? Black Widow surely isn't going to come out in May 1st. I now, wouldn't have right? thought so. It feels like everything will get pushed back. And it makes sense from a purely kind of fiscal point of view. People aren't, are either not going to want to go to cinema or fundamentally not be able to go to the cinema. So what's the point in releasing yeah, massive This yeah. isn't about specific movies. films. It's about yeah, audiences in it's general. About exactly yeah. that. And it, you're right. It is, it is. This is unprecedented. Like it is, people joke, I joke, you know, about like we're living in The Walking Dead and whatnot. But it, I mean, nothing has happened like this in our lifetime. My mum was saying it reminded her of the war. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like it, it feels like that, you know, curfews and whatnot. We've not experienced anything quite like this. Well, this is the, the weird thing about this is actually the longer this lasts, kind of the better in terms of management. So this is about, you know, you've seen the diagram probably online of the curve of infection. So mm -hmm. if we do nothing and if we all keep going as we are, yeah. then the curve of infection is very, very steep and rises very, very high all at once and then drops. Mm. Um, but that overwhelms the healthcare system in any country you care to name. And, and especially lots at of this people, time of year. And this, especially at this time of year. And lots of people die simply because they can't access healthcare. Yeah. Whereas if we slow the rate of infection by taking these measures, we massively prolong the outbreak but we keep it below yeah. the threshold of what the system can cope with and therefore yes. lives are saved. So mm. actually, this is a best case scenario if this goes on for six months and it's horrific to think so, but it is. Mm. And so I'm trying to be, you know, zen about the whole thing. But geez, what a... It's, I yeah, mean, it's, you it's, know... It's, it's a, I feel terrible for people who are in kind of zero-hours jobs or kind of in working the gig economy, you know, mm. who don't have paid sick leaves in the same way that people on staff do. You know, it's... it's, it's oh, yeah, yeah, thank you, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Helen, you're freelancer. Um, but, you know, it's... You know, it's, it's, it's it's bad. It's, it's bad. bad. Yes, yeah. thank you, Alex. It's yeah, bad. It's going to be... It's gonna be you know, if cinemas are closed, how... Do you? How do they stay open? How do they have enough money to stay open to reopen whenever this thing is over? Mm -hmm. As I'm very confident, as I'm you know, as I'm very confident, it will be that there will be you know, come a time whether it's they break through with a vaccine quicker or whether just for this period of of self isolation that they've shown in China, I believe that that actually is beginning to work and the tide is beginning to turn and it can work if you if we all self isolate or you know for two, three, four weeks, then hopefully it'll be okay. But the strangest um, thing is just not knowing. Yeah. Not knowing what's happening, when it's going to happen, how long it's going to go on for, what you're going to wake up to tomorrow. It mm. does feel like it's 28 days later out there at the moment. Mm. So it's surreal. It's the rage virus. Mm. Well, no, that's just you, James. <laughs> yeah. We couldn't tell if you were infected with it, in fairness. <laughs> Patient zero. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a scary time out there. It really, really is. And uh, obviously, we hope that everyone is safe. We hope that everyone listening to this is washing your hands regularly as well. But someone was saying, saying today, like, who's going to be the first big studio to bite the bullet? 
and start releasing their movies on streaming. I don't know if economically they can with stuff like, Mm. with these kind of 150, 200 million dollar movies, I don't know if they can just go straight to streaming. Because you'd need, like Netflix would have to pay them a fortune to make it worth their while. Who says Netflix? Well, any of the streaming service. Even even Disney Plus's own. I don't, I don't, I think they would rather delay, and I think well, I think that's what's happening. I think mm. they would rather delay. Mm. Now, for some of the more medium level movies, the ones that were going to the cinema was always kind of maybe a yeah. a bit of a maybe not a massive win situation, but it was going to help them down the down the line in terms of publicity and so on. Those films might go to streaming, mm. I guess, mm. but it's hard to say right now. Well, let me ask you a question, guys in this room. Um, obviously, not the people who are standing outside uh, listening with a glass up against the wall. Are you scared of going to the cinema at the moment? I went last night, I saw Bloodshot, I paid my own money to see Bloodshot. I mean, the thought of paying my own money to go and see Bloodshot scares me. Well, yeah, it was terrifying as I I parted with it, but I had to do it because you know what? I'm a pro. Did you sit near people? Uh, uh, Yes. Where Uh, are there other people watching Bloodshot? It was actually... It was just Chris and Vin Diesel. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, On his way to a $560 million opening weekend, (laughs) as he has uh, boldly and confidently claimed it will do. Mm. Maybe because it's the only movie left. that's right. He has a a really good chance of doing it. No, there were people, and uh, someone actually moved, sat next to me, you know, because they were sitting in someone else's seat and they had to move next to me. Um, But I I feel okay going to the cinema, I have to say. I I don't... I've, you know, been... out and about a little bit and well, we're on the tube army yeah. trains whatnot it's much the same thing You're I just don't want to be coughed on yeah that's yeah. but really. at any time really I don't want to be coughed on like sometimes that I hasn't like changed <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm, I'm still feeling alright about that but I think also I think you have to figure out how to not just minimize you have to figure out how to minimize risk of course but you also have to figure out how to strike a balance in terms of you know keeping yourself sane and yeah. keeping yourself healthy and keeping yourself um, mentally stable and everything else and, mm-hmm. and for me anyway like cinema is part of my regime as much as running or going to the gym or you know eating is it, I have to do it so mm-hmm. yeah I'm okay it's crazy we have changed our routine a little bit and we, we are looking at it no, nothing official yet but I wouldn't be surprised if this honestly as I said at the beginning was the last time for a while we're recording it in the studio together you know, but we are as James said we're going to mm-hmm. be taking steps to make sure that we can bring you our, our podcast every week and the spoiler specials they'll be updated as well um, even as they push the movies we would have been doing spoiler specials on back by a fucking year uh, <laughs> but we changed the routine as well usually before we do a podcast we get together and we rub our faces <laughs> against each, each other and that's changed that has changed <laughs> HR said you no to that us as you <laughs> yeah. want to do yeah and yeah. I've had to put trousers on which is a, a oh, podcast first Chris that's, that's not hallelujah <laughs> Anyway, so that's probably all the coronavirus uh, news is fit to print. We, as I say, we hope that everyone is well, and if we hope, you know, if you do get it, that we hope that you recover from it very, very quickly indeed, and keep washing those hands. Uh, um, what we're going to do is we're going to keep talking about movie news. We're going to change things up a little bit this week because we're already on movie news let's stay with movie news and uh, in a sort of uh, rapid, quickfire jump to good news. Harvey Weinstein's in prison for 23 years. 23 years. He'll probably get coronavirus in there very quickly. <laughs> this is, that is a genuine risk, actually. No, of no, course. It's, it's a massive problem in the US, especially because they have 
prisoners uh, making hand sanitizer but not allowed to use any when you visit prisons in the US. It's horrific at the moment. Anyway, so I don't want to actually joke about that, but I do want to joke about Harvey Weinstein being in prison because fuck him, ha! Um, yeah. He may also get more years on top of that because the case in California is still pending. Yeah. Um, so I mean, realistically, he's not getting out of prison, is he? Like, not alive. Given his age like. and health, it, doesn't it seems seem like. like it's a life sentence. So. Has there um, ever been a bigger power reversal than this? You know, I mean, yeah, he had the world at his feet, right? Mm. He could do anything, say anything, tell anyone what to do, pretty much get anything he wanted, and now he's going to prison. Mm. How is how does he deal with that? This is not a sympathy, by the way. No, no, no. not at all. In well, fact, did Epstein you see also? Yeah, well, that's mm. true. Did you see uh, Kate Beckinsale's Instagram post? This I did. Week? Yes. yes. Where she talks around that she wasn't a sort of sexually assaulted by Weinstein, but she was sort of verbally assaulted and threatened at his home Absolutely after uh, not wanting to do the serendipity premiere. Mm. No, no, no. To, no. She no. wore the wrong outfit. Yeah, but that's it. She didn't want to do it and he was, he was he said her face, she looked down and she wasn't looking sexy enough. And the language he used, it's absolutely extraordinary. I mean, he's a vile, toxic human being. Beyond disgusting. Uh, and that's even when you take out all of the sort of, you know, rape aspects of his personality. Yeah. It was really, so. I was reading uh, She Said, the book by obviously Jodie Cantor and Megan Toohey, who broke the story, which I highly recommend to each and every one of you. It's, it's an astonishing, astonishing piece of journalism. Um, but the in the book, they go into a lot of more a lot more detail about it, and they talk about some of the people who at that point weren't willing to or weren't ready mm. to go on the record. Um, and it's really upsetting some aspects of it. Now, I know, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow comes in for a lot of shit just generally in life, and some of it may even be warranted. But uh, she was one of the first people to talk to them. She was one of the first people to uh, go into it. She was not comfortable going on the record initially for the very first story because... Um, he he suspected she was one of their sources and was was outright threatening to her, I think, and that was part of the reason at least. Um, and literally turned up early to a party and was was trying to basically get her alone. She had to lock herself in a bathroom upstairs. But she was also one of the ones who was trying to put them in contact with other mm. movie stars who might be able to to help and so on. And one of the things she was saying was that like she was so disturbed by the fact that he used her success against other people. And he, he sort of held her up as, look what happens when you go along with me, which mm. she actually hadn't. Mm -hmm. But, you know, obviously they don't know that. Um, and used her to kind of leverage other people mm. into his orbit. So even the people that escaped, like Kate Beckinsale, like Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, Angelina Jolie was hit on, mm -hmm. but again, you know, was able to get away. They were still made part of this horrific scheme. He, he was, he's an outrageously toxic individual and mm -hmm. I have the utmost respect for all the women who, who came out and spoke out against him because it took and that's one of the things again that the book makes clear it, it took so such extraordinary courage God yes absolutely um, and not just from these actresses but from these you know former Miramax assistants and, mm, yeah. and workers and just normal women who finally got the courage to speak out against all odds I think I think they're incredible well done yeah well done indeed. It's a bit of heavy duty opening to the old God, podcast yeah. this week, isn't it? Global Apocalypse and Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. So let's uh, talk about something that would cheer everybody up. Okay. Some Marvel Studios news. Hey, Helen? Hey? Oh, well, hey, the, the news that the uh, Falcon and the Winter, Winter Soldier, Soldier has yeah. also been delayed because of bloody coronavirus. No. Tell you this. Yes, he, Steve wouldn't have been stopped by it. No. Hey. He would as an old man. <laughs> He's still got the super soldier serum he's coursing through his veins. Which how we last saw him. <laughs> yeah, he's a super soldier. He's not he's anymore. Old super soldier. He, doesn't, he hasn't anymore. stopped being a super yeah. soldier. He's just incredibly he old. Like a super soldier. He would throw still. his shield right at the coronavirus. He gave it away. That's true. 
fuck then, isn't he? Yes. He would throw his shield at the coronavirus. Helen, it's scientifically proven. Scott. You're like those people firing guns at it, you know, firing guns at the wind. <laughs> yeah, you're Don't a, do that. You're basically a Florida man right now. Yeah. That's what you are. Don't do that. What I was talking about was the news that Richard E. Grant has joined Disney Plus's soon-to-be-pushed-back Loki. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. Yeah. Disney Plus is going to keep going, I'm sure. I'm I mean, sure. Disney Plus launches next week here in the UK, so, uh, you know, yeah. we'll have stuff to do when we're in isolation. Oh, perhaps we can hear about that on the Pilot TV podcast, can I mean, we, James? Yes, you can. Christ, oh, fucking mighty. Um, <laughs> good. Well done. Well done. Well done, everybody. Uh, but no, because I think things are filming right now, and... Movie production and TV show production is going to be hit pretty hard by this as well, don't well, you I mean, think? Why do you think that Tom Hanks was in Australia? He was making the Elvis oh, movie for yeah. Baz Luhrmann. That's a terrible joke. Well, it's not a joke. Oh, it's not a joke. It was <laughs> actually, actually a fact. It's an actual fact. Oh, okay, yeah. It was in the format of a joke. <laughs> why was Tom Hanks in Australia? Answer, to get to the other side or something. I thought that's what you were going right. to go for, but no, you... <laughs> I was, I was literally telling you. It was you a nugget of news. It was. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just thought in the news section it might be appropriate to deliver a nugget <laughs> of news, but I see now where I went wrong. <laughs> anyway, Richard D. Grant and Loki, the show, yeah. not the character. Thespian City. It is, isn't it? I'm up for it. I was going to say he'd be playing Loki's dad, but we've seen Loki's dad. He's, how old do you think he is? Richard D. Grant. He's in his 60s. How old is Tom Hiddleston? Oh, yeah, okay. In his 30s. In his 30s, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it, it does work. <laughs> no, I guess I'm used to Checks Loki's out. dad being a, a lot older than that. In his 70s. Well, <laughs> Richie Grant looks great, what can I say? Yeah, but he, he you can see him as a, a capricious, tall, Loki-esque figure, can't yeah, you? Yeah, someone said he looks like an older Loki. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? And, and now that's all I can see. Maybe so, maybe he is an older maybe he Yoki. Maybe is an older Loki. L- older Yoki? Sure. Yoki is an egg. Um, let's see what else is happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, well. Finn Diesel, who has apparently... Well, he's just confirming lots of things. Anyone sticks a microphone in front of Finn Diesel's face, he confirms six different projects. I have to admit, I love him. I love how much he wills projects into existence just by talking about them enough so that people go, I guess we'll... I guess we'll pay for that then, Finn. I want to do Bloodshot. Okay, let's do Bloodshot. There's a cinematic universe. Tell them about the honey mummy. <laughs> he sounds like the honey monster. I just, I just said the honey monster. Oh, I can Tell them about the honey mummy. I see what you're saying. Tell you what, sugar puffs have been rebranded honey monster puffs. Have they? And they have changed the recipe when and they happen? suck a couple of years ago. They've they taken s- out much, much of the sugar. Do they still give you sugar puff wee? No, they don't. Because they don't, they, they don't have the same taste. taste. Did, did you buy a box? Yeah, I bought a box, yeah. So I wanted to see if they, you know, were the <laughs> same, but check. they don't. Anyway, anyway Finn Diesel, Finn Diesel has said in an interview many, many things, but he said principally that the Guardians of the Galaxy will appear in Thor Love and Thunder. It's hardly yes. a shock, is it? I think that's good. It's great. Hooray. Hooray. For how long? It's. I mean, probably five minutes, but that's yeah. not the point. As Guardians of the Galaxy. Good news. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Orsi has found himself a new job. Oh, that's nice. He's left Nando's. Yeah. <laughs> That's an in-joke. <laughs> uh, yes, there's he's a, doing... An, um, there's a guy in Hernandez we go to who looks like Roberto Orson. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's doing, he is doing a new Spider-Man spin-off. So Ooh. he's working on that for the non-MCU side of that particular world. So taking place in the Venom slash Morbius verse. Yeah. Um, no idea what it's going to be. Or <laughs> this is great movie. Whether news, it'll be it? any good, but he's doing one. So you know, <laughs> Richard Grant's Loki, but we don't know who he's playing. The Guardians of the Galaxy are in Thor four. That was discussed for twenty five <laughs> seconds, and now we're going. <laughs> yeah. Bob Orsi's got a job. That's the news story. <laughs> but we don't know what it is. <laughs> 
But we definitely this want some great. peri-peri fries uh, and spicy rice with that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like Nando's. There you go. Oh, oh my come on, no, God. It's true. What's wrong with it's you? It's true. I don't like Nando's. Why? Everything tastes of nothing. <laughs> Everything <laughs> tastes of nothing. It's covered in peri-peri goodness, Helen. No. Don't they like have it. different spices, Helen. Yeah, no. Different levels of spice. Chris is an extra hot man. So what's happening with Spider-Man? <laughs> oh, yes. So Roberto Orsi is writing this, and I just wonder if they could have gone for his more decisive cousin, Roberto Anzi. Wow. wow. And the coronavirus has already struck Chris's brain. <laughs> has it, though? I'll do that joke again until it gets the, uh, the reception it deserves. Um, it's going to be a laugh. long night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to lock that fucking door. Uh, I'm excited about this. We, we know that Peter Jackson was going to make a documentary about the Beatles uh, and uh, the specifically the, the album session that started off as Get Back and turned into Let It Be mm. and was yeah. essentially the last album the Beatles released but not the one that, the last one they recorded but it was a very tempestuous recording session and so this is now going to come out as a Disney documentary uh, in September we hope fingers crossed um, uh, the Beatles Get Back is what it's going to be called so right. so as to differentiate it we born you James you okay so as to differentiate it from <laughs> the Let It Be documentary have you seen Chris the original Let It Be I've never you? seen it i I don't think it was legally available. Am that's I wrong? A, that's one of the reasons why I haven't seen it. I, I did have a VHS many moons ago. Did it's you? very entertaining, but it's very fractious. It there's you know they all seem like they kind of hate each other, except for Ringo who's trying to keep the peace. But it's a legendary in terms of biopic drama. But from what I heard somewhere it might have been on a, a Beatles podcast, I think, or something that what Peter Jackson is doing with the footage that he's found is reconfiguring it into yeah. something slightly more truthful, which is something less fractious and friendlier and mm. nicer where, where the truth lies in what was going on at the time is probably in between the, the two I guess but I've I, heard that's what he was doing with it I think that's probably fair really mm. don't you like mm. I mean there, I think there was I'm sure there was fractiousness in any group as there is among all of us a lot of time but they at the same did time genuinely fuck you fuck off. fractiousness <laughs> It was bad at the end of the Beatles. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that's controversial. But like, it, it wasn't, you know. It wasn't good. Yeah. It wasn't good. But um, also, it's got the rooftop gig, right? Yes. Yeah. What a great, yeah, because they were there was so much infighting uh, towards the end of the mm. Beatles, um, and uh, yeah, it wasn't ideal. And that was an attempt <laughs> to get things back to back on track and a little bit back to basics in terms of their music as well. Mm. Um, I'm really excited about this. I think it's going to be fantastic. Uh, it says here, the film will showcase the warmth, camaraderie and humour. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> the warmth and camaraderie. Fuck off, John. No, fuck off, Paul. Fuck off, Ringo. Fuck off, George. You know, it's, going to be, it's basically going to be Chris, that, isn't it? They're from Liverpool. That was fucking brilliant. <laughs> uh, uh, famously from Liverpool. Now I want to watch Animaniacs. It's yeah. Um, I'm interested in what's going on in the wake of The Invisible Man, Jason Blum has said he wants to make a Frankenstein film. Here for it. He's talking about Karen Kasama directing a Dracula film. Yes. She's great. Um, she did Girl Fight. She did Destroyer recently. Mm. I think she did an episode of The Outsider, which was very good, which I watched mm -hmm. recently. Um, so she'd be an amazing fit for what they're doing with these universal monsters. If indeed they're going to be continuing in the same vein of what Lee Wanell did with The Invisible Man, who knows? Because what he did was was his vision. It was such mm -hmm. a one-off. I, I believe this is not a shared universe or anything like that. But I'm sure if they're Blumhouse films, they'll be of a piece in some way. But obviously what he did with The Invisible Man was only a suspension of disbelief in terms of the man being invisible. But other than that, it was a kind of a real-world threat situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you do that with an immortal vampire? 
Well, it depends if it's an immortal vampire. Like, it depends if it's a, you know, oh, there's a blood thingy that makes you go woo. There's a blood coronavirus that makes you go woo. I don't want to dazzle you with science. So in your your Dracula tale, it's fine just as long as he washes his hands for 20 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) And he stays indoors. That's what Castle Dracula is. I I am just (laughs) self-isolating. Where's he from? (laughs) Liverpool. (laughs) He's the unknown sixth member of the Beatles. Sixth? I want to hold your hand. (laughs) Oh, God. <laughs> no one would have seen that movie. James bringing the music knowledge I know. Oh, oh, the sixth member of the movie. Famously, they were called the Fab Four. In, in fairness, I was getting confused fairness, with Fast Five. There are a couple of people who have been known as the Fifth Beatle, who James yeah. was obviously. James was, yes. That's what there I was, was referencing. There was Pete Best, Stuart Sutcliffe, and Vlad Dracul, the really famous warlord, the Turkish warlord. Oh my god, that's amazing. Anyway, maybe it'll be like the strain, you know, where vampirism is mm. like a strain yes. of. Who's this? I then I find myself in times. Trouble. <laughs> what is happening? Well, I, want a vampire, I just want a vampire movie by the Beatles now. I'm sorry. It's really bad. Vampire Beatles. Hollywood. Not a bad idea. <laughs> um, but no, I'd be really interested to see what Kusama and Bloomhouse could do with Dracula and make it that sort of, mm. you know, slightly more grounded potentially thing especially after that fucking dreadful BBC Dracula at Christmas no. which I, I'm still not over it was two thirds brilliant yeah. no it was one third brilliant one, one third half. pretty good one and, and one third fucking dreadful oh the second episode was the best yeah. that was great but yes the third episode was, was, was Drac pants yeah I've seen Goran Vishnik uh, is going to be uh, or Viznich I believe mm. it is he's Croatian uh, is going to be Dracula and the Brides which Ooh, is I'm the here kind for of, that yeah what's the Brides what's that it's the one about Dracula and the Brides yeah Okay, so at the moment we have... He's a trigamist. We have the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I like oh, that. God. One, two, three, brides. Ah, 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 ah. Um, so there's the last voyage of the, of the Detmer, which is... Uh, Demet- Demeter? Demeter. 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 Yeah, Demeter. <laughs> Detmer. It's named after the goddess of the earth. Yes, I knew Mother that. Mother Persephone. Obviously, I knew that. Uh, and that, that's the one that Dexter Fletcher's attached to. And then we have this one with Goran Fiznich. And then this one, the Karen Kazamba one, which sounds cool. Mm. I'm off for it. Sounds a bit morbiusy, though, Helen, your pitch. That's true, actually. I take it all back. I mean, hey, who knows? Morbius could be great whenever we see it, whenever that is. We don't know. We don't. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want a Dracula film that isn't full Dracula. If it's just something to do with a blood disease or blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm not saying that will be the case. And, and yeah. to be honest, I would also be open to... I mean, you know, they have they've have drabbled with... Da- drabbled? They have drabbled. They have dabbled. Coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> they have... They came into this podcast with oh, God. every, attempt, something every in the intention of being respectful. <laughs> they have dabbled with mythology, obviously, in, in like The Nun and Annabelle and yeah. all of those ones. Like there has It's been more recent mythology, maybe, but there is... The room for you know, mm-hmm. craziness in this world. So, yeah. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think there might be an immortal vampire out there somewhere. Speaking know. of immortal vampires, did you watch the trailer for Soul? Yes. Not yet, no, because I've been uh, all the fields. Yeah. All the fields. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that it, was, it was an unexpected uh, plot turn for Pixar. <laughs> uh, that? That's not how segues work, <laughs> by the way. 
You can't just simply say something that's completely unconnected to the thing you're about to introduce. That's not how it works. I beg to differ. Um, Speaking of falling off a cliff, <laughs> let's talk about. No, that's not how Have it works. Have you watched it? Have you seen it? Have you seen this old time? Yeah, I was standing next to you when we watched oh, yes, it. Yes, you were. Yes. That's true. Yeah, looks great. Looks like looks like it's gonna be another tearjerker though. Yes, of, you'd hope of, so. Mm. And that's coming out in July slash August slash September slash October slash November <laughs> slash twenty twenty one twenty two twenty three. What we need right now is a doctor, a Pete doctor, and that movie hey. looks good. Yeah, it does. It does so, very much look like a follow up to Inside Out, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's got beautiful different animation styles as well. Like mm. it jumps between various different sort of like aesthetics, which yeah, I am very much here for. Mm-hmm. Mm. Jungle Cruise trailer. What did we think of the Jungle Cruise trailer? I mean, it does it does not stop looking mummy y, no. does it? it? It doesn't un. <sighs> this I couldn't work out if it was self aware or not. No, well, I, oh, think I, think is, I think it is. I think it is. It's one of these things where it, the film itself could be a bit meh, but I think Emily Blunt and The Rock together, there's mm. just something yeah. quite compelling about that. And what they did with this, which I really enjoyed at D23, was they did. I don't know if they put it online it was so funny they did two trailers they did one from her point of view mm. and one from his point of view and they had each one of them present it as a kind of this like is the marriage film story. Yeah, and, yeah, but and, it was really really nicely done they've done that with the posters this week with mm. each of them standing in front of the other on the poster and sort of rejigging okay. it so. it's, it's fun and they have a really good chemistry together so I'm, I'm quite interested in this I will say the Jungle Cruise ride is rubbish uh, but then so as part of the Caribbean <laughs> and that didn't affect the film so yeah well didn't it <laughs> Well, the first one's very good. The first good. one's great. Come Is on. Not so much okay. the others, but okay. the first one's excellent. All right, fine. It's got an undead monkey. It's a small world after all. A small, small world. Uh, so Joe and Anthony Russo yes. um, uh, are apparently teaming up with uh, two up-and-coming young producers for their next movie, Exit West, uh, which is a drama uh, by the Pakistani author Mohsin Hamid. And it will be directed by Yand Manj, apparently. And uh, it is a set in an unidentified Middle Eastern country and centers around a young couple who escape from their home during a violent war. And they join other migrants traveling to safe havens via carefully guarded doors. Each door takes them to different locations across the world where the relationship is tested by their struggle to find food, adequate shelter and a sense of belonging amongst immigrant communities. Now, the interesting thing is the up and coming young producers that the Russos are teaming up with in this are Barack and Michelle Obama. <laughs> you may oh, have yeah. heard of them. I've never heard of them. Yes. Oh, the the sixth and seventh members Wait. of the Beatles. Wait, these um, <laughs> doors, they're travelling via doors. There seems to be some sort of metaphysical so element. Is this what, like the Adjustment Bureau? Yeah, is this the Adjustment Bureau? I wonder. Or, I have to, or is it Monsters, Inc.? <laughs> like, I, you know. I haven't read the book, so uh, but it sounds really, really cool. It but it's being, cool. it's being named here as a drama. Any of them wearing hats? I don't know. But yeah, I, 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 I thought you might latch onto the the Obama thing rather than <laughs> no, the doors you know and the hats. Yeah, I mean, I I like the Adjustment Bureau. Somebody has to. So. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, no, not okay. the Adjustment Bureau. No, I'm not knocking Love it. it. I'm just saying people have knocked it. Another film the with the blunt factor. That is. Um, I know this sounds this sounds interesting. And um, Michelle and Barack Obama's uh, first film that I saw at least was American Factory, which is a fantastic documentary. Um, so you know, so far they've got quite a good record. As is far that, as I'm that win the Oscar? Was it that one? It won the Oscar, so it it is good. I feel, I feel, you know. Yeah, I mean, they are actually up and coming. They don't have a massive IMDb producer profile. They do have a massive profile. Though. Yeah, so <laughs> they're up and coming producers. Even even bigger than the Russo brothers, I would say. Yes, so. I'm not sure about that. Well, that's true. That's fair. 
No, the the uh, Barack and Michelle Obama did many many things, but he never directed Avengers Endgame. So quite frankly, he's a failure. Uh, anything else to talk about? <laughs> I Maybe watching. that's why he's teamed up with the Russos. Perhaps he is. He's like, I need some of your I success, that guys. Success, that reflected yeah. glory, <laughs> please. Um, I was just watching the other day the. Uh, I think it was the White House Correspondents' Dinner speech from, I think, his first year in office. It was John Hodgman doing that. Have you guys seen this? It's online. I highly recommend it. We've all got time sitting at home right now. Is this so you can the watch one it. with the Lion King skit? Or was that the no, next no, one? No, no, this is the one where uh, he talks about uh, how Barack Obama has, has finally united the two you know, warring tribes of the US, the nerds and the jocks. <laughs> Um, and and he goes into his nerd and his jock credentials, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's not the one where um, Obama dissed Trump and then made Trump become president. Yeah, I um, mean, yeah, that was awkward. unfortunate. Yeah, sorry, but, yeah. <laughs> oops. Or like when Boris Johnson was invited on Have I Got News for You, and everyone went, "Oh, he's a lovely guy. That's make him prime minister." Mm. Okay, okay, got a little little bit political there on the old Empire podcast. Sorry about that. There was also the good news this week oh, that yes. Parasite has become the highest-grossing foreign language film ever in the UK. Um, so well done, everybody who went to see Parasite. I didn't. I didn't see Mel Gibson do one of those congratulatory, congratulatory <laughs> posters to pass on to them. Maybe it's a little bit specific. Maybe that only happens if you're the highest-grossing film of all time. Yes. <laughs> As if someone had to do it every time a movie passed them at the box office. Um, but yes, well done. Anyway, enough talk about box office because there was some very, very sad news mm. as well this week. Uh, the great, the legendary Swedish actor Max von Sydow passed away at the age of 90. And... This too guy. soon. Mm. Yeah. A good inning, so. Yeah. Before yes. he edged to slip. And uh, hell of a filmography. Hell of a filmography. Mm. Mm. You, you're referring, of course, to The Exorcist. <laughs> um, but no, he, <laughs> sure. look, uh, he has an incredible, incredible career. And, and I feel like it's, he, he, it felt almost kind of seamless. Like he seemed to go from playing this, frankly, gorgeous young man in The Seven Seal, this kind of, you know, incredibly... See, golden figure. I to, think he, he always looked ninety. Yeah, but this is it. To then, <laughs> like to then the Exorcist, and he, and he feels like he's been playing the old man. Yeah. F- ever since then, for like forty years. Um, so you know, f- from the Exorcist, I first to possibly <laughs> this is not to my not flattering to me, but I first saw him in uh, Flash Gordon as Ming the Merciless, yeah. where he was incredible. Same. But yeah, he you know he's been so so many great things recently. Minority Report. He was in Shutter Island, Game of Thrones, of course, for about mm-hmm. half a second. Force Awakens. Force Awakens. As uh, Law again, yeah, not a, not a big role, but he was. Brilliant in it. I, he's, he's just incredible. Yeah, he was the sort of guy who could uh, go from you know his long collaboration with Ingmar Bergman mm-hmm. to taking the Hollywood stuff and also taking kind of weird, esoteric, sometimes fantasy-tinged Hollywood stuff. But he was tremendous. I mean, he was the voice of Figo the Carpathian. Did you know that? In the Ghostbusters game, yeah. He was in, he was in Judge Dredd. Remember that? Who was he in that? He was, he was Judge Fargo. Yes. Memorable. Yeah, memorable yeah. role. That I, remember, was, I, I remember. Did you see um, Robert Willis right. from, do you remember What Dreams May Come? Yes. It's a film I really enjoyed. It didn't get particularly uh, well reviewed, but beautiful, beautiful film, and he's great in that. Which was, was he the dad, was he the like grandfather in that? He's a kind of, isn't he, as, as I recall, it's been many, many years since I've seen it, isn't he, he becomes a kind of a guide figure in the afterlife. But aren't the guides in the afterlife his kids? Uh, oh yeah, that's right, isn't it? Yes, massive spoiler. Sorry. Uh, but massive yeah, that's spoiler. one of his kids, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Very, very true. <laughs> oh, <wow>. Okay. <laughs> if you haven't seen What Dreams May Come, Helen's just ruined that for you, but it's a great film. Go and watch it. 
but yes, uh, so obviously there's some tremendous movies you made with Ingmar Bergman. We mentioned The Seventh Seal already, The Likes of Wild yeah. Strawberries as well, uh, The Virgin Spring, then some of his great work in Hollywood as well. We haven't mentioned Three Days of the Condor yet. He's terrific in that as a hitman who is pursuing Robert Redford all the way through that film and he has an incredible speech to Redford towards the end of that film um, which is extraordinary. He was in Needful Things of course not the best yeah, Stephen yeah, King yeah, adaptation yeah. ever but That's he was right, great in it as Leland Gaunt. Uh, he was in Conan the Barbarian. He just had this wonderful filmography and uh, you know, he was in Force Awakens as well and he was just a, a real one-off uh, also. Uh, yeah, for me, just to go back to the idea that he he just always looked like he was ninety years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was wearing prosthetics for The Exorcist, but oh, they were actually he? to de-age him. <laughs> he, he came in looking ninety, and they were like, "No, no, no, we need you to look seventy. Can you can you do that?" Uh, but yeah, he was just he was tall, he was gaunt, he was commanding. He was tremendous. Mm-hmm. He could only have been forty something in The Exorcist. Yeah, he was yeah. 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 incredible screen presence. Yeah, they properly aged him up. I mean, to cast him based on that. Mm. You know, because presumably freaking being a cinephile would have seen his movies with Ingmar Bergman yeah. would have gone, okay, I want that guy. But to have the vision to go, I'm going to cast you, but you're 30 years too young for the part, but I know you can pull it off. Mm. Yeah. And you don't question it at any moment. I think that's one of the reasons why he had such longevity in his career, because most people just thought he was 70. <laughs> and they just kept hiring him to do stuff where he was playing a 70-year-old man. He's one of those, I mean, he he brought such amazing gravitas to something, didn't he? Mm-hmm. You, you put him in something and it gave your film credibility, I think. It was, it was it all, I mean, it's not quite the same, but putting Brando in Superman, mm-hmm. suddenly you've got mm-hmm. all that weight and that heritage weight, movie weight. Um, and that heritage and, and that's why JJ cast him in Star Wars right? oh, absolutely. You, you plant him there at the beginning and you go alright this is this is the business and I was actually always miffed that he he was only in that film for 30 seconds yeah we'll yeah. blame Carlo Ren for that I always have to <laughs> but, but yeah you did kind of want to see him just hanging out with Princess Leia or something yeah, you yeah. Wanted it was to... a bit of a waste hmm. But it's mad, isn't it? We, we talk an awful lot on this podcast about people having iconic roles, and he has. You know, whenever whenever he passed away, people immediately started going, "The Knight from the Seventh Seal," mm-hmm. "The Exorcist" from yeah, oh, what's that film called? Uh, and of course, uh, genuinely, Ming the Merciless was a big touchstone for a lot of people. I mean, uh, that is an incredible performance. Like he is the the thing holding that film together. Because let's be honest. God bless him. Sam Jones was perhaps not the greatest actor <laughs> in the world. But you got um, the, you got Dalton and you got Fonsido and you got Brian Blessed giving yeah. it their all yeah. and, and taking it away enough. from that sort of blonde vacuum at the heart exactly. of the film. And that's what you needed because and 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 Fonsido is the one of those three who's in it most. Obviously, Dalton only gets really a scene, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Blessed gets what two scenes. So mm-hmm. you've got to have Ming there. God, he's good. And you kind of buy him as a destroyer of worlds. I absolutely bought him as a destroyer of worlds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm still afraid to go into space. Uh, he nominated twice for an Oscar for Pele the Conqueror in 1989 and then for 2012's Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, where he didn't speak, right? He was silent in that. I can't. He was the tenant, I remember. I don't remember much don't remember else. Very very much. I mean, it was, yeah. Yeah, it, was, it was not the greatest film. I think that, that Oscar nomination was, a, was very much a, oh my God, we haven't given Max von Sydow an Oscar. Yeah. yeah. And they still fucking haven't. So, and they didn't give him anything uh, honorary either. But uh, he is an all-time great and we're very, very sad indeed to hear of his passing. Time now for a question from uh, one of our listeners. And uh, I can't believe we're at this point either because we seems like we've been talking for an hour, but here we are. And this is a really good question. This is a really good question, you guys. And it comes from email and the best questions come from email it comes from Johnny Young's London 
And he asks, as the Aeronauts goes on a certain streaming service, Amazon, uh, it's a good time to ask, has any movie that has tried to recapture the on-screen chemistry of a co-star pairing ever outdone itself? So the Aeronauts obviously reunites Eddie Redmayne with the hot air balloon uh, from uh, or, or Jupiter Ascending. Felicity no? Jones? Felicity Jones! That's also Felicity Jones. Yeah, they start together in the theory of everything and then it tries to rekindle their alleged chemistry and doesn't quite succeed but uh, are there any other examples of that happening where the 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 second third fourth movie in a partnership actually does exceed the first movie War of the Roses <clears throat> you're, you're sticking that over uh, Romancing the Stone and well the, it's the, like yeah it's the one afterwards hmm. you know it's the one you know what you might have something there it's the definition of the question yeah, okay. I know I'm just saying alright uh, like I said that's nailed it if you want to have your question right, about have <laughs> you've got mail have I? yes that's nice it's no. not as good though well, is it? Well, there, is, there, is, there is a camp that would argue that they are better and you've got mail than Sleepers in Seattle I mean it's not bad but it's not as good as Sleepers in Seattle I think personally well, fine. Technically so. speaking, it is also a film starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, but it's not Sleepers in Seattle. It's not anywhere. It's not fit to... Wait, first of all... Oh, oh I've got the they, answer. Oh. Joe versus the Volcano was the first one they were in together. So yes. really, Sleepers, so Sleepers in, in Seattle, Seattle is the right answer. <laughs> and Helen wins on a technicality. <laughs> um, there is also, of course, the um, uh, Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn films, mm. any of which after the first one would qualify. Yes. So, I don't know. Adam's there, rib? There is the I mean, La La Land to Crazy Stupid Love. Uh, yeah, but I don't like La La Land. Yes, but you're that's wrong. A, that's as maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, your wrongness is absolute. That said, Crazy Stupid Love is really, really good. So, it I, is, that's a bit of a toss-up, isn't well, it? It is really, really good. But La La Land was also good. And they completely worked together in that mm. film. And it was enormously successful. And you buy it. I mean, it's, it's quite heartbreaking. If you uh, buy into <clears> their <throat> chemistry. Yeah. Hepburn and Tracy, just to we'll go back to them for a second, started off with Woman of the Year. Yeah. And they went on to make Keeper for Flame, Without Love, The Sea of Grass, mm-hmm. State of the Union, Adam's Rib, Pat and Mike, Desk Set, mm-hmm. and then they finished with Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yeah. So what do you sense of better, Lala? I, I reckon Adam's Rib. Mm-hmm. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is aged. Let's just say that. Um, <laughs> uh, desk set was that's the one where she's the expert in um, research and stuff, and she, he's trying to replace her with a computer. That's mm-hmm. fun, mm-hmm. but it's not as good as Adam's Rib, which has them opposite each other in court. Okay, but see, that's the thing. That's slightly different, I think, from the Emma Stone Ryan Gosling thing. Why? Because I think that's just accidental oh. casting. Oh fucking hell! <laughs> Shots fired! Shots fired! Did you like Crazy Stupid Love though? I thought they were cute in it together. I really did like them in that. Yeah, mm. yeah. I don't think it's the same thing. I think I think that's just a director really likes these these people and they just happen to have worked with each other in the past. Whereas Tracy and Hepburn, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon, oh god, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, they came. Uh, they they very quickly established themselves as partnerships, mm. and people wanted to see them again in movies, not mm. necessarily playing the same characters. So they see see uh, Wilder and Pryor in Silver Streak, then again in Stir Crazy, and then obviously and then the, the diminishing returns really kicks in yeah. with. See no evil, hear no evil. I couldn't even remember the name of the other one they did, and I've forgotten that already. But another you, another you, yeah, Uh, another very bad. So should we really be talking about Laurel and Hardy here? No, I don't think so because they came as a prepackaged as a double act. What about Hope and Crosby? 
No, because that's uh, they're all part of the same franchise. Okay. So is it is it oh, like are we saying that the film has to be better second time or the relationship is better? Because I'd oh. throw the lake house into this particular ring. Wow. Are not because it's insane. no no. Bear with me. Bear with me. One of my more popular opinions. <laughs> not that it's a better film than Speed, but their pairing in it kind of delivers on all of the promise that Speed gave you, all the sexual taste of Speed, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. I love the lake house and fuck you all. <laughs> Wow! Does it deliver in sexual tension though? Because they don't really. What is the meat in the lake house? Time and space. The lake house. house? I can't really tell you without actually giving away the plot of the film. But it's. um, I don't know. No, we. So they. I'm not watching it. There's a. There's letters that are going between these two people. It's because they're two years apart. Yeah, they're in the oh. same lake house, but they're living in different times and they're exchanging letters. What and it's happens? just like they're separated. Why did the first temporarily. person move out of and the then lake house? And the lake house goes over 50 miles an hour. <laughs> That's right. It explodes. <laughs> yeah. What's I that? think it was called the house that couldn't <laughs> slow down. <laughs> what, what happens at the end of the lake house? I'm not spoiling the end of the lake house. <laughs> People should see this film. Does Jeff Daniels die? <laughs> What happens? <laughs> Dennis Hopper gets decapitated. Do, do they meet? I'm not telling you. Do they meet? I don't they, remember. They meet about halfway through. They do meet. <laughs> about halfway through. <laughs> I don't remember the ending. They meet. I genuinely don't they remember They meet the at a party about halfway yes, through. That's they do meet. But it's like, I, yeah, but how does it end? I don't. I genuinely don't remember. I I kind of do, but I'm not going to spoil it. You don't remember either. I do. I kind of. Is do. it a sad ending? It's a bit it's of not a happy ending. It is a sad. It is yeah, a happy I remember. Ending. I remember being quite quite. No, it is a happy ending. ending. I don't think it is. No, because, like... Neither of us remember how this film ends. I really like it, though, even though I don't know how it ends. <laughs> and it's better than Speed, apparently, no, according to you. It's never better than Speed. I'm saying the relationship <laughs> in it, the core of relationship <laughs> in it, is better than the relationship All right. in Speed. Okay. If so, you want to know, if we're talking platonic partnerships, yes. Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, uh, Talladega Nights, Two Step Brothers. That's good, that's good. Oh. And I wouldn't say Step Brothers is entirely unromantic. And then... <laughs> the very pinnacle of that is Holmes, Holmes and Watson. Holmes and Watson, yeah. No. Oh, no. No. oh talking no, no, about diminishing no. returns. I have enjoyed neither of them in any of those films, but sure. But you don't. You hate joy and comedy, so... All, all true. Uh, it's a fucking Catalina wine mixer. The uh, fucking Catalina wine mixer. Yes, I'm I'm absolutely bang out for anything, any film starring them. Uh, so Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, okay? So they start mm-hmm. off with The Fortune Cookie, 1966. Right. Then they have The Odd Couple. See, that's probably the best one. Yeah. But the front page. Front page. Fucking love the front buddy, page. Buddy, buddy, not great. JFK, I'm not allowing that. That's, that's not, that's not fun, yeah. no, that's not, no, no, get away with your JFK. Grumpy Old Men, The Grass fun. Harp, don't remember that one. No. Grumpier Old Men, it was all right. Out to Sea, and then The Nadir of The Odd Couple 2 was their last film together. So oh. it's The Odd Couple, but they're, they're, they're great, yeah. wonderful, um, warm yeah. pairing that you want to see The front screen. page is a classic for a reason as well. Like that is, that is pretty great. If you don't know it, the front page was originally written as a play. It was filmed in the early 30s. Then it was made into His Girl Friday. Mm-hmm. Then it was this front page. Then it was Switching Channels. Switching Channels, yes. Um, so yeah, with it's been done a lot. With Burt um, Reynolds. Burt Reynolds and Christopher Reeve and, and Kathleen Turner. Correct. Who is in? Uh, Romancing the Stone and the one I mentioned at the beginning, The War of the Roses. back full circle. <sighs> and if I if I didn't have a compulsion to to name De Niro and Pacino, then that would be the end of this bit. But I've got to mention mm. De Niro and Pacino. It is a happy ending to the lake house. Is it? Is it? Oh, yes. Oh my God. I knew it. You may have just ruined the film for me. What I happened? could have sworn it ended on a sad note. Yeah, but she writes <clears throat> him to warn him that he shouldn't yeah, you know, that's right. Then, don't, don't get, oh my yes, God. Don't get on that bus. Yeah. <laughs> don't does. do it. <laughs> uh, okay, just, right. just, to, just to end this, I will put it to you yes. that Avengers Infinity War uh-huh. is better than the Nanny Diaries. 
Therefore, Evans and Johansson. But it's I mean, not better than the perfect score, so... I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't oh, I'm telling like <laughs> Avengers HQ that you said that. Oh, like they don't already know. Like they've got they've got this linked off to a, to a system. Boop boop. What's it? What's happening, sir? USB a mildly critical of the MCU, sir. Oh my God! Batten down the hatches. Self isolate. Self isolate. <laughs> Not gonna happen. Anyway, De Niro and Pacino started off with the middling heat. They finished with the middling the Irishman, but in between was the masterpiece that is Righteous Kill. There you go. Microphone drop. Oh, De Niro and Pacino. I think you can talk more about De Niro and Pesci, who've gone from Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Casino, and the Irishman, but mm. I see them as a little bit more of a screen pair than I don't think. Maybe, but... You're not selling these movies necessarily on De Niro and Pacheshi. Pacheshi? De Niro and Pacheshi. Wow. Robert Pacheshi. <laughs> Is that what you call their, their partnership? I'm John Pacheshi, you butt fuck. A fuck fuck. You butt fuck. John Pacheshi. This is Elmo goes R rated. Yeah. <laughs> very confused. He's, the, of course, the seventh member of the Beatles. <laughs> How many are there? I've completely lost count. I want to hold your hand, you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, De Niro and Pacino. But there's loads of examples. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Yes. Yes. Mm. So which one's the best one? Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. Yeah, it's Hot Fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to, you know. What's your favourite Stella Wilson? <sighs> oh, wow. Tenenbaum. Wow. But they're not, they're not a partnership. Yeah, they're not really a partnership. They're just in films. Mm. What do you mean they're in films? Come on, they're, they're in Zoolander, the same films. But yeah, okay. Starsky and Hutch, yeah. Zoolander 2. It's kind of Zoolander. Yeah, but I, Zoolander. I don't think we're talking about I don't think we're talking about films that are capitalising on chemistry in the same way. It's just like, let's cast these two guys. But they're both really, really good looking. <laughs> really, really, really <laughs> ridiculously good looking. Only one of them... Uh, can't turn left mm. so that's that's yeah. a big thing right. he's just up. not an ambi-turner alright <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> which brings <laughs> us back to Kathleen Turner and the whole thing and goes that full is circle is the end of this again. segment thank wow. Christ if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast uh, please we'll need stuff to keep us occupied over the next few weeks uh, do send them in to us we're uh, on Twitter as at Emperor Magazine use the hashtag Emperor Podcast or chances are we won't see it uh, we're on Facebook as well uh, and email us, podcast at empireonline.com, as Johnny Youngs did. How exciting. Time now for this week's guest. And uh, yes, you'll be delighted to know that we do have guests lined up for the next few episodes as well. Uh, after that, if you are an A-list star and you're absolutely feeling 100%, then do get in touch with me and um, I'm, maybe we'll do something over the phone or over Skype or maybe you'll risk it for a biscuit and come into the, the pod booth and we'll, we'll give it a go. Okay. Just uh, add me, add Chris Hewitt, slide into my DMs. You know you want to. Will Smith. <laughs> 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 to name but one. Anyway, this week's guest is a wonderful British actor uh, who has been putting together a quietly a fantastic CV over the last few years. Uh, so she has been in recently the likes of Motherless Brooklyn. She was great in that film. She was in Fast Color, uh, The Cloverfield Paradox, Beauty and the Beast, of course, Free State of Jones, Belle, Ama Asante's Belle as well. She's currently filming Loki, apparently. Yes, she is, yeah. Mm, she's in Loki. Very exciting indeed. She is, of course, the wonderful Gugu Mbata Raw, who this week stars. Uh, she's one of the many stars of Misbehavior, which is a, about the 1970 Miss World pageant and attempts to derail it and expose it as the sexist Farago that it was. Uh, and she's very, very good in it indeed as Miss Grenada. And she was talking to Beth Webb for this interview. Now, this was Beth Webb's first time 
interviewing anyone for the podcast. And I believe there was a slight technical snafu. Am I right in this, Jimbo? But no one will know because we did ADR and we fixed it in post. And have you heard the finished result? No, but I'm sure it sounds brilliant. Cool. Okay, then. Yeah, so Beth's, Beth's headphones were rained on and broke, and something else happened, and the microphone didn't work. So only the her side of the of the interview did not record. But we came into the pod booth later on, and we looped it, as all great films do. A little bit of ADR, a little bit of post. And, uh, so did she you loop Beth's lines, or did she do her do No, she her made lines. me leave the room. She, she wouldn't allow me to sit here and listen to her do it. But all yes, right, she, okay. she looped them. I'm sure it's absolutely perfect. You will not know. Seamless. Seamless. Seamless editing. Seamless. Here we go then. Cuckoo and Batara talking to someone who sounds like Beth Webb in a completely different room. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> it's the future. It's the future. Yeah. She's a pioneer. Who knew? So congratulations on the film. Oh, thank you. And what a perfect time of year for it to come out as well. I think we need something uplifting given the current British weather. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think a large part of the appeal um, and part of the reason why this film came into fruition is because a lot of people didn't really know about this historical event and I wanted to know when you first came to learn about it. It was really when the script was sent to me. Um, my agent called me up and said, I've got this really interesting script about Miss World. And I was like, Miss World? Uh, okay. And um, I, I knew it had come from the casting director, Nina Gold, who I've met many, many times. And I know she does incredible work. So I knew she had great taste. And so I read the script and it was just... Uh, so sparkly. Uh, I just love the wit and the mischief and the point of view of the film being so firmly rooted in the female gaze. And I just loved the fact that this really happened, you know, this um, sort of collision of, you know, the women's liberation movement storming the Miss World ceremony at, at the same year that the first woman of colour won the competition. I just thought it was a, a sort of fantastically potent time. And it was actually quite shocking. I mean, to watch it in today's context, um, I found it quite shocking in that, you know, in the same breath that the um, contestants' names were announced, mm. their measurements were as well. And I think it's a good sign that we've come as far as we have, but also, yeah, something definitely to reflect on. Really was shocking. I mean, just how deeply objectifying they are, you know, and I think for me going back in, you know, in research, watching the real ceremony in 1970. And as you say, they give everyone measurements, uh, you know, and then Bob Hope himself as, as the host, his jokes are just so, so terribly misogynistic and uh, offensive and objectifying. And the fact that the women have to turn their bodies to the audience, you know, to get to be fully appraised. I mean, it, it, you know, it's like comparing them to cattle and animals. And I just uh, it shocked me. And I just thought, wow, yes, how far we've come um, and what's acceptable um, then and, and what's acceptable now. Although there's still obviously a lot of work to do. <laughs> and you went out to meet Jennifer as well to research um, the role a little bit better. Where, where was it that you met her? Yeah, it was amazing, actually. I, I got Jennifer Hoston's email from our director and, uh, you know, I was dying to meet her, but I knew she was based in Canada now. And um, so I emailed her and we had a lovely sort of back and forth. And then we spoke on the phone. And after that, I just had this very romantic idea about meeting her in Grenada. 
Uh, I'd never been to Grenada and the film was all set to be shot entirely in London around the competition. So I knew, you know, we wouldn't get to go there or some sort of glamorous location. So I, I emailed her and said, you know, I'd love to meet you. I don't suppose you're making any trips to Grenada soon, but, um, you know, I'd be willing to fly out and, and meet you there and would love to learn more about your culture. And uh, to my absolute delight, she agreed. <laughs> So um, it was amazing. I mean, you know, I got to spend a few days there with her. I took my mum. She took her daughter. So we had a really, it was like a women's, it was like a women's meeting in, in Grenada. Uh, and, you know, just for me to be able to really enrich the experience for myself, you know, listen to her dialect, have her um, show me where she grew up, just get a sense of the culture that she was coming from um, so that I would just, you know, have that to fuel my imagination when we were filming in rainy Wimbledon in January. <laughs> And what was the key piece of advice that she gave you? What was something that really stuck with you? Well, she didn't really give me advice as such, you know, in terms of how to play her. I think for me, you know, I suppose I really took away that she felt like she was an ambassador for her country. I think that, you know, at that time, Grenada didn't have its independence uh, from the UK. So, um, you know, a lot of people didn't know what this small island in the Caribbean was or even where it was. A lot of people uh, confused it with Grenada in Spain. And, uh, you know, I think she felt quite a serious responsibility to put her, you know, small island on the map. And um, But she also, you know, took it all a, a, with a bit of pin a pinch of salt I think in terms of the beauty side of things I think you know she went with her sister uh, who was her hairstylist who unfortunately isn't in the film but um, you know and her sister always emphasised it was a package deal in terms of the full package her personality you know what she was interested in it wasn't just you know uh, uh, about her looks um, so yeah there is, there's definitely um, a maturity uh, you know I think to how she looks back on on the whole event. And then what other research did you have to do for the role? Um, because what struck me is there's such a physicality to mm. the performance in the pageantry. Mm. I guess... Um I don't need training sessions, but um, what other research did you do? There absolutely was. We had this incredible posture coach who, you know, really worked at the, uh, used to work at the Lucy Clayton modelling school back in the day, you know, which is the generation of, you know, Joan Collins and Joanna Lumley and, you know, and um, the, the, that era of modelling and posture. Um, so it was amazing. We all sort of had this like Miss World boot camp uh, where, you know, we had these classes and I had some one-on-one -on -one sessions with her in terms of how to sit, you know, always crossing your legs at the ankle. How I'm sitting now was really not the ladylike way. Um, and, you know, how to walk. And I think they really did work on their walk. And Jennifer herself, you know, um, as we see in the film, you know, she really did really work on that um, and drew a map even of the stage and practiced her her movement just so that she would not feel n as nervous on the night so so it was quite a bonding experience for all of us 21st century women who are used to slouching over iPhones and you know wearing jeans to practice walking in heels um 
And it's such a different style as well, I think, the posture then, even to how models hold themselves now. I think um, there was a much more awareness of, you know, standing tall like you've got a... I'm remembering now the class, standing like you've got a string pulling you up from the top of your head and shoulders back and bottom under. I mean, you know, she was really um, quite a drill sergeant, but but it, but it was great. And I think it really gives um, the movement and physicality in the film a sense of uh, period authenticity. I'd like to know a little bit more about your time on set because I know you've worked in some great female ensembles Mm. in the past with A Wrinkle in Time and more recently The Morning Show but I feel like this is the first time you've really been part of a big female collective on screen and I'd love to know a little bit Mm. more about what life was like on set for you. It was amazing. I mean, you know, this cast is phenomenal. Obviously, Kira Knightley, Jesse Buckley, Keely Hawes, uh, Leslie Manville. I mean, some of Britain's finest actors and actresses. And, um, you know, at the helm with, with Philippa Lothorpe, our, our incredible director. Um, it was great. You know, most of my scenes were with the, the beauty queens and, um, you know, just an incredibly big ensemble of women and just the energy of that. And also, you know, women from all over the world um, or from all different backgrounds. So it was, it was such deeply diverse, probably the most diverse cast I've ever worked with, you know, because um, the the casting were very conscious about getting actors that could really speak the language that they were from, you know. Um, so, so yeah, it, it was it was a wonderful, wonderful, joyful experience. And you really have like a special bond with Louise Harrison as well as part of the um, makeup of the pageant I really wanted to know a little bit more about how you brought that camaraderie um, from the set onto the screen yeah I mean it was you know that there weren't there wasn't a lot of time um, you know for rehearsals beyond uh, some read-throughs you know working with Larice and um, Emma Corrin who plays Miss Africa South Africa or Miss Africa South um, so you know I, I spent spent most time um, with them and also Suki Waterhouse who plays um, Miss America um, but yeah it was really you know on, on set um, you know the camaraderie especially of us all being in our swimsuits suits I think you know it, that first day when we had to it was the scene where these you know and and um, Philippa captures it beautifully of the, these this wall of women in bathing swimming suit costumes and these this horde of male photographers sort of running at them <laughs> um, you know and where she places the camera you know you really get that sense of how absurd it is but also the terror of the objectification and I think we were we were all in it together that was the first day that we'd all had to sort of of get get on into our swimsuits together so so we so we we bonded o- over you know shivering <laughs> and then you have without going into too much plot detail a very significant scene with Kieran Knightley's character Sally it's not so much a confrontation as it is a conversation between two women from vastly different backgrounds and I just wanted to know what it was like to film a scene that holds such weight within the film yes I love that scene and I think it's so important to the film um, to really uh, like you say it's not a confrontation it's more of a reckoning I think and a sort of um, a meeting for the first time of these two women from from very different sides um, of of the movement and what's going on and uh, for me I think it really 
brought you know into a very intimate setting something that had been a very loud um and sort of you know uh, macro sort of uh, protest you know from the from the pageantry on stage to the protests outside and then just to have these two women together in in a room um just to be able to highlight really you know the intersectional nature of you know what they were both dealing with and i think um for jennifer to highlight perhaps um what um, Kira's character Sally may have overlooked um, in terms of the opportunities that, that Jennifer had um, and maybe the opportunities that she had that she'd maybe taken for granted. So, so I think it's, um, it's an important it's an important moment in the film um, to really appreciate you know these these two women and um and and the different backgrounds they have and and you know i think it's very contemporary conversation now about uh, you know all of these movements that we have that they're inclusive that everybody is able to you know partake and that their identity and their journey um is is allowed and is and is is allowed for and, and that there's not judgment about you know I think these women are not against each other they're against the patriarchy they're against the system but they're, but they're not against the other women and I think that 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 scene quite poignantly um, you know highlights that I'd love to know why you think the story needed to be told today in 2020 and what significance that holds? Well, I think it's wonderful it's coming out around International Women's Day or now International Women's Month. I think we have a whole month, women. <laughs> Yay. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think, you know, obviously um, uh, the parallels are, you know, quite clear in the last few years in terms of Me Too and Time's Up and, you know, the women's marches and movements and, you know, know women um once again you know breaking their silences over um inequality and abuses of power so i think what's exciting you know about this film and lovely about this film is i think a lot of a lot of those issues we've been dealing with are about very dark and traumatizing experiences that are being unearthed and um misbehavior you know although it has a campaigning edge to it it definitely is a joyful film and I think it's a celebratory film of women taking back their power it's not um, you know uh, dark and and, and traumatic and I think we need that at a time like this you know there's just so much going on in the world to to be worrying about that, 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 that actually to remember and look back and get sustenance from previous generations and know that we're part of a of a legacy and a journey and you know we're passing the baton onwards. Would you say that that's something that you look for in a project, something that opens up a conversation and something that could hold a legacy, especially one that you think is really important today? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's always a bonus to me if um, a piece of work um, has an interesting conversation behind it, because I think that's what art is for, essentially. I think it's for us to look at ourselves, uh, look at our culture and, um, you know, get some perspective on where we've come from and where we're going um and I love the idea that you know potentially with something like misbehavior or or the morning show you know that the that the issues raised you know help people to see themselves in the work and um and see themselves in the story and either be uplifted or um you know maybe it makes you laugh maybe it makes you cry but either way it's, it's a healing process and a way to feel you know like you're having a shared experience
And what is it that you're working on next and what are you excited about doing in the future? Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm actually working on a Disney Plus show um, by Marvel called Loki, uh, which is a a sort of spin-off limited series about um, the character Loki played by Tom Hiddleston. Uh, But I can't really tell you too much about my role because I'm sworn to secrecy. But you're very excited about that. I am very excited. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so that was Gugu and Batter Raw. Interesting enough, do you remember that happened whenever we first started doing the podcast? We had no idea what the hell we were doing and Dan mm-hmm. did a podcast interview with someone and it didn't come out for whatever reason. So we had to go back in and loop his questions and we kind of had to direct him to sound like conversational <laughs> and stuff. And it was, that was, that was a fun Hello, day. I'm Dan. Jolin, <laughs> did you enjoy making the film? I love Vol- the way you said that. For remember back when is cinema. we first started doing the podcast and we didn't know what we were doing, as if somehow that has changed in the intervening it's kind, years. It's as kind of changed. by the shit show at the fuck factory that is the particular broadcast. It's kind of changed. We know what we're doing. We don't make any stupid... <laughs> Bit of visual comedy there for a it's podcast. Good. Yeah, it works well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we may never leave this building it's alive. Almost certainly. I think I've decided this is, a, this is our lock in, the lock in at the lamb and flag. Uh, time to talk about <laughs> The lamb and flag. I'm the lamb and flag. It's a, in Oxford? No, Bottom. It's a reference from Bottom. Oh. Uh, I think it's the first episode. They get locked. No, no, it's from the live show. Uh, and Eddie goes, A lock-in at the Lyman flag! Ah. Mm. Speaking of live shows, do you think it's a coincidence that Ireland have banned all public gathering a week after our <laughs> live podcast in Dublin? Well, lads, there's no way we're topping that. <laughs> yeah, it's a direct response. Can you imagine if they had, like, if they they banned all... Tra- we could have been stuck there forever, just live well, No, I would have just gone up to my hometown. Yeah, I would have been fine. Yeah, I would have just stayed there just in the back. cinema doing endless podcasts. Jesus, who let the Empire podcast Egypt into the country? <laughs> Close all the borders! It's too late, they're gone. Ah, Jesus! Well, thank God they weren't stuck here. Infected us with their terrible opinions. <laughs> Speaking of which, it's time to talk about this week's release. there are still releases there are still releases plural at time of recording yes (laughs) so let's start with misbehaviour which is um, well I've already said what it is (laughs) do you remember back back at the beginning when we knew what we were doing (laughs) (laughs) Helen you've seen this movie I have seen this movie yes Uh, it is uh, about the Miss 70, uh, Miss World Contest 1970. But it's also about the women's liberation movement, which was uh, active at the time, was really being born at the time, um, which saw this opportunity to kind of uh, make some noise, essentially. But they had nothing against the beauty queens themselves. They wanted to make it clear it was the, the principle of this competition, this kind of parading of women who at the time, by the way, were literally weighed and measured and their weight and measurements were made public as a part of the competition. So it'd <laughs> yeah. be like, Miss Grenada, 34, 25, 36 is here from, and you know, and you're just like, oh, wow, that's not cool. That was going on a long time after 1970. Oh, I no, I know so, it was. Yeah. yeah, a very, very long time. But it, it, it's a really interesting um way of approaching the story it just means that there are a lot of moving parts to this and if you've seen the poster for this you may be expecting a knockabout comedy Mm -hmm. and it is not actually it's sometimes very funny Mm -hmm. but more often it is uh, more of a drama and it's kind of an ensemble piece so you've got Keira Knightley's uh, Sally Alexander these are all based on real people Keira Knightley's Sally Alexander who's a history student and one of the sort of activists in this new women's liberation movement 
Jesse Buckley, who plays Joe Robinson, who's a much more kind of radical, kind of anarchist member of the movement. But not Joe Robinson of the Vanity Fair podcast. Not the one of, of Vanity Fair, but no. I, I look forward to hearing her reaction to this one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you've also got uh, Gugu and as we've discussed, as Miss Grenada, who's one of the contestants. Uh, Larice Harrison, who's kind of a fairly newcomer as the uh, representative of Africa South. If you're wondering where oh, Africa yeah, yeah. South is, mm-hmm. it's because they object, the apartheid campaigners objected to there only being a white Miss South Africa and so they sent a second contestant mm. and that was her and she's a wonderful, wonderful character. So there's all these people. You've also got Greg Kinnear as Bob Hope who's coming in to sort of do a bit of a gig during the show. There's a lot of different people represented here so sometimes it's a little unfocused as a result of that. Yeah, I but think it, so. But it does give you a bit more kind of context, I guess, and a more... Um, texture, I suppose, to the story, which I think is what the director, Philippa Lothorpe, was going for. She, by the way, is the person who made uh, Three Girls, which is an f- absolutely fantastic piece of TV, and she's done things like The Crown. She launched Call the Midwife. So, you know, she kind of knows what she's doing, but it does sometimes, mm-hmm. I think, feel a little bit more... Um, it has more of that TV texture yeah. where you have more time to get into all of this stuff. Um, I so, think yeah. it's because y- you have a feeling... Well, I had a feeling while watching it that... First of all, it's immensely likable, I think. It's a very mm. watchable film. It's a fascinating, true Usually story. So. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun, and it it is provocative in, in, in its own way, but I think the problem is that you can feel the screenwriting happening as you're watching it. Yours, it there are plot contrivances coming in quite blatantly, and the, I think generally it feels like quite a pedestrian film about revolutionary people. You know, this was a time of, of great change and all of that, and what's going on, in the story is quite wild, but the film itself isn't. I don't think the way the film is made is kind of true to the spirit of what's going on in screen, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I agree with both of you. <laughs> but really good performances all around. I yeah, think. really good. Google is really great in it. And Knightley, I feel that it, because it starts with the Keira Knightley character, the she's your anchor throughout yeah. the film, even though it's an ensemble. And I felt that Gugu's character got a little bit lost in the shuffle, a little bit, mm. which is interesting given how significant she was to that year. Don't want to give things away, but you can look it up on Wikipedia. Well, it's almost like there's two different stories going on there, mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like. And Gugu's great in it. And there's a scene, I won't, I don't want to spoil it, obviously, but there's a scene involving her towards the end, which has got some real fire to yeah, it. Yeah, really good scene. Um, and you feel like the film could have done with more of that. Mm. I, think the, <laughs> I think she's being very true to the character, though, because I actually hosted a Q&A and I met mm. the real Jennifer Hoston this week. Oh, and Right. And she is extraordinarily composed. She's very elegant, obviously, and super beautiful. Um, but but just very composed, very calm, very internal. And I think that was very much part of her, you know, essentially her winning. Mm. I don't think it was a strategy. I think it's who she is. But I think it was part of the reason she won was because she is very much sort of serene that way. Yeah. So I think it's it's. I mean, Gugu does give her some texture, but it's it's mm. not a character who is as fiery as as the women's rights activists outside. Yeah. yeah. For for example, I thought Bob Hope was a bit. Uh, you know, he could have been just a nice little cameo, but instead he has. And Greg Kinnear is fine. Yeah. But he has a, a fairly major role in the movie. And yeah, I, I, I asked about that, and I think I think it's to do with the fact that he represents that sort of, you know, absolutely thoughtless sexism that was going on at the time. You know, he's not a bad guy. But, no, no, no. But, but he was absolutely a womanizer. He absolutely cheated on his wife throughout their, I think, 60-year marriage. Um, and he just very casually, absolutely matter-of-factly made sexist jokes 
all the time and yeah. was beloved for it. You know, yeah. so I think it's I think maybe that's kind of what he's representing in a way. Yeah. Um, that no one else in the script does. You can probably hear from our uh, opinions that we're you know we're, we liked the film, we didn't mm. we didn't love it, and uh, that is reflected in the star rating. Three stars then for misbehavior, which is, of course as we say in the podcast every single week is a recommendation. Mm. Uh, next up, uh, Alex, I know you've seen this one, The Hunt. Yes. Now, this is the controversial one. This was uh, this was effectively not banned in the States, but they, they, they took it from the release schedules. They plucked it from the release schedules for a little bit. They Yeah, I, mean, I think Trump tweeted negatively about it without having seen it, of course. I think, am I wrong? I think there was a shooting around the time. I think there was, they, yeah. yeah, yeah there was. I, I get the impression that was the main reason they cancelled yeah. it. Um, so it's out now. The film itself, I don't think, is as controversial as people might think. It's being marketed as the film everybody's talking about. Um, I don't know if everybody was talking about it, but that's what they're saying. So it, it opens up like a bit of a Twilight Zone episode. Um, it gets very gory very quickly, and we find ourselves in the middle of the woods, people waking up gagged and bound, and it's a, a place called the Manor, and they're sort of let loose and find themselves being hunted down and shot. It gets very grisly, very gory, very quickly. In the first 15 minutes, all sorts of very, very grisly things happen to these people. And then we find out that what's happening is there are um, a bunch of liberal elites running this game and shooting people. So it's a play on, you know, these human hunting films that have been going on since The Most Dangerous Game, which was about 1920s. Yeah, something. yeah. Um, and you've had, obviously, Battle Royale and The Hunger Games. And this one is co-written, I think, conceived by Damon Lindelof, um, who's, what was he done lately? The Leftovers and The Watchmen. And this is him, I think, having a go at the discourse. He He left... Twitter a few years ago. I don't know. Would you say he was hounded off it? Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, he's he's still thriving on Instagram, but yes, he couldn't tweet without people calling him a dickhead, uh, which is ridiculous because he's an incredibly talented guy. But just you can change your settings, Damon, so you don't see those things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. But at first sight, this looks like a film in which liberals are gunning down. Trumpites, or mm. it may be even Democrats versus Republicans, but it's it's it is that. But again, it's not that simple. And if if anything, the film is more scathing about the liberal elites and all the virtual signaling that this film attributes them with, and the hysteria that's just been built up around these two sides, and how the whole sort of culture has evolved or devolved into an us versus them bit of tribalism and um, it's it's kind of a grindhouse film in satire clothing. It's it's not supposed to be taken that seriously, I think. I thought it was very funny. I thought it was a lot of fun. It's directed by Craig Zobel, and it's directed very well. I think there are some great action set pieces in it. But it did, it is a funny thing. A lot of people have sort of taken umbrage with this film and, and said, it was, you know, it's not as smart as it thinks it is and what's it, what's it trying to do and what's it trying to say. But um, I think it's just having fun with the state that we're all in. Mm. So we gave this two stars. You sound a little bit more. Up I enjoyed than it. That. I, I would give it at least a three, maybe a four, just because I thought it was done with a lot of style, a lot of fun, and it made me laugh. Bloody hell! Wow. There's some great action in it as well. There's some really, really great set pieces, and it's 90 minutes long. And I cannot recommend enough <laughs> a film that is 90 minutes long. Yeah, yeah. I had a toss up between this and Bloodshot yesterday. I had to go and see one of them so I could talk about it in this week's podcast and I chose Bloodshot because I had the sense that no one else would have seen Bloodshot and I felt that Finn needed to be represented but I, I do very much want to see The Hunt uh, which is which opened on Wednesday and is now out in 
Kinemas. So two stars in for the hunt, which brings us neatly on indeed to Bloodshot, which is the latest attempt by Finn Diesel to start a franchise that isn't Riddick related or indeed Fast and Furious related. And uh, this one is based on a comic book that I didn't particularly know, or, or in fact know at all. Uh, and it is a Valiant Comics uh, story and the, the, it is an attempt to start a, a shared cinematic universe. But I think here is where that ends. Oh. Um, it's interesting because Finn Diesel in this movie plays a a soldier who is killed at the beginning of the film and he is brought back to life using incredible nanotechnology by Guy Pierce's possibly Killian? shady scientist. Right. Possibly shady scientist. Uh, and he is surrounded by three other superhuman augmented techie type people. Uh, one played by uh, Isaac Gonzalez from, from Baby Driver. Oh, yeah. Um, and he is basically a killing machine who cannot be killed. So he has these nanobites and these nanobots inside him, which means he can access the World Wide Web at any point. And rather than looking at porn, what he decides to do instead is hunt down the person who killed his wife, oh. who is played, in this case, the person who killed his wife, not his mm. wife, by Toby Kebbell. Ooh. Now, this is the movie is, that is prompted... He a, is he an ape or a... No, he's, no, he's playing... He's as himself, Toby oh, Kebbell. Okay. Uh, well, not as himself. No, he didn't, as Toby Kebbell didn't character. kill Vin yeah, Diesel's yeah, wife. Sure. That'd be terrible. Uh, but this is probably my tweet yesterday. One day Hollywood will figure out how what to do with Toby Kebbell, mm. who is a mm. fantastic talent uh, trapped in a leading man's body. And they just don't seem to know what to do with him. Mm. He keeps getting these fifth, sixth, seventh banana rolls, mm. sometimes comic relief rolls. Um, it's really good at the mocap stuff as well, yeah. as evidenced in Kong and um, and uh, the first Planet of the Apes movie as well. But he's really good, you guys. Give him the hero roles in he these did, things. Um, he, what was that Guy Ritchie film he was in? He was very good in Rock and Roller. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was very good in yeah, that. He's, he's a really good actor. He's fantastic also in Dead Man's Shoes. Um, Destroyer. I literally took about half yeah, an hour yes. to before I, I recognised him. I didn't know it was him. No. Really, really great. Wasn't he in one of those great Black Mirror episodes many years ago? He probably was. In High History of You, was that him? I think so. I know he's in Servant as well, which I haven't seen yet, which is the uh, M. Night Shyamalan Apple TV show. But yeah, he's, he's great, but he's not the star of this movie. And perhaps this movie might have succeeded better or succeeded at all if it had had someone who could emote in the lead role. Because Finn is kind of phoning it in in this one. And listen, I like my Finn. Uh, I think he's great in the right circumstances, but this isn't really the role. It's not really a grabber of a role. Mm. And it's one of those movies that I went in expecting an absolute one-star shocker mm. because it wasn't being screened to press, which is why I had to go and pay to see it yesterday uh, uh, on, the day it, it, on the day it opened. That's usually, the, that usually sets the alarm bells ringing. Uh, also, it looked terrible and everything we knew about it was like, oh, this could be bad. This could be just like a cheap, cheap knockoff, cheap sci-fi knockoff. It's actually quite interesting. And as I, I watched the film and I was like, oh, this is a bit clumsy. This is a bit clumsy. That scene's not working because that's just bad screenwriting. And then they pulled the rug out from under me. There's a couple of reveals in this movie that are actually quite clever. And they deserve to be better directed, I think. Uh, and the screenwriters in this are Jeff Wadlow and Eric Heiser, oh, wow. who wrote oh, yeah. Arrival. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine Eric Heiser came on and rewrote Jeff Wadlow's script and added in lots of cool black mirror -y type stuff you know play, messing with reality and but it's also got real clunkers of dreams like Finn at one point goes how can you have nightmares when I don't even have memories give me my honey I want my money I'm me I'm in the mummy Oh my God, that's a killer today. Have you, How does he do that voice without just coughing all the time? I think it comes naturally to him. Sorry, I've just stepped out. I've come back into the room now. I've been away. You, you come in um, just the right time to yes. talk about Finn have Diesel. You read, have you ever read any of the No, I didn't know it. I didn't know it at all. Yeah, he's quite a well-known 
character within the Valiant comic line. Great. Uh, Harbinger's, I think, another one in there. I've not, I don't read Valiant comics. This will, this will be of, uh, yeah. He's quite, he's quite, uh, he's got a following. This so. will be of real consolation to the four people who read those comic books. Uh, <laughs> uh, very, very exciting. Exo Man of War is another vi- uh, oh, really? one, I think. Okay. Yeah. I should check him out. Uh, this movie's not making me race to check them out but there's, no. some, there's some interesting ideas in this the performances aren't terrible Finn aside but it just doesn't really come together and the action scenes are not very well directed you can't really tell what's going on which mm. is a shame because he's a superhuman killing machine who cannot be killed and you'd expect that would lead to some really really cool action scenes he's the it cop doesn't. who can't be stopped he can't he's the boss that could not slow down yeah uh, and it's a bit of a shame it is a bit of a shame oh. but uh, I really want to see I, it regardless it's, just, it's very much my jam it, it very much is. I will give a shout out to uh, Lamorne Morris, who people might know from New Girl. And uh, he's in this movie mm. playing a hacker and a British hacker at that. And his accent, spot on. Spot on. Uh, he's really, really funny in this is he, movie. In fact, from Liverpool. And is he the ninth member of the Beatles? Are we only up to nine? I thought we yeah. were well above He's that. He's the 27th member of the Beatles. Uh, so go and see him. Go and see the movie for him. Go and see it for uh, maybe some decent effects stuff. Go see him for Toby Cable. All right. But two stars. Two stars. <laughs> okay. Two stars in for Bloodshot. And we're going to round out the week on a high with uh, Cam with Horses, which is the movie. If you listen to last week's show, we had uh, Neve Algar and mm. the film's director Nick Rowland on as part of our incredible cabal of guests. Yeah. And Hell's Bells. Tell us about this one. Yeah, I really like this. So this is set on the west coast of Ireland. Um, and there's a former bo- boxer who's called, generally known as Arm. Um, his name is actually like Armstrong. But anyway, he's played by Cosmo Jarvis from Lady Macbeth. And he has basically started working as a thug for a crime family called the Deavers, who are, he's he's most associated with uh, their kind of younger generation, Dymphna, um, which is a very Irish name, you just don't get anywhere else, who's played by Barry Keown. So anyway, uh, Arm has an ex-girlfriend who's played by Neve Algar, she's great, um, and a young son who has autism. um, And... He's kind of a little bit torn, I think, now between his kind of two families, between these criminals who have taken him in and made him one of their team and then also his kind of responsibilities to his son, Jack. Um, And Neve's trying to get Jack Mm. into a special school and, you know, get him the kind of support that he needs to kind of develop. And it's just a really interesting character piece because you've got him torn between these two worlds. You've got this guy who clearly needed the same kind of help that his son now needs at one point in his past and didn't get it and is kind of aware that his life has gone a different way because of that. Um, He's a guy who's very good at violence, but we're told in the opening seconds of the film doesn't actually enjoy it. He just, that's what he does. It's not personal, you know. Um, and and I think it's just it's just a fantastic fantastic um, character study of him. I'm really intrigued because a few people have said, oh, you know, it's very kind of predictable at the ending. And I one of the reasons I really liked this was I didn't think it was predictable at all what mm. happens at the end of this film. Um, I think it kind of skews away a couple of times from the the genre beats that you expect it to hit. Mm. There are obviously some kind of cram drama stuff in there, but not all the ones that you think it's going to go for. And I think that was really really strong and just fantastic performances. And I do think that you know. Not he's not here I can say this but Nick Rowland I think is a really strong director this is his <laughs> this is his first feature yeah and I think that as a first feature this is incredible stuff and I think it, it presages really really well for his for his future Michael Fassbender produced uh, produced it and I think saw something in him yeah that has clearly paid off but um beautiful obviously 
scenery because it's set in the west of Ireland and there isn't really any other kind there. Um, but I think it's really worth a look. Um, yeah, it's kind of a little bit McDonough-y, maybe not quite as funny as that, but mm-hmm. it has mm-hmm. a bit of the McDonough-iness about it. Yeah, except, well, it's not so comical. It's not as yes. funny. No, there, there are moments of funniness in it. Yeah. Needles, the Belfast guy is pretty yeah. funny. The thing I liked most about it was that cast. I mean, all three of them, I mean, Cosmo, Barry and Neve are mm. incredible in it. They are also completely authentic and there's a real electricity with all of them separately and together there's a real danger about those guys in it Cosmo Mm. Jarvis has there's something there's something of a wrongness about him as (laughs) as there was in I mean I think he was in one episode of Peaky Blinders and he was kind of terrifying in it. And there's some, I mean, he's, I think he's kind of, and anything could happen with him in this Mm. film. He could explode any minute and um, he's trying not to. He's containing it but you feel like, you know, he's in a a battle with himself. And um, in terms of the slice of life part of this film, just watching these people live and, you know, struggle, I thought it was incredible. I think, I think if anything, it goes off the rails a little bit just because I think it starts off with the feel that you're hanging out with all these people and you're just watching what they do and then it, does get a bit heavy happens, on the plot here, on the plot, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, but yeah, they're amazing people to watch, and it's beautiful. Yeah, three stars. I would have gone higher. Okay, uh, so sounds good. I didn't see it last week, sadly. I was I was flying blind. Thank God I had Helen there to uh, take the controls and. <laughs> Stick the landing. No way, that's, that's, that's a gymnastic way. reference. Um, but yes, three stars. Three stars then if you can with horses. Uh, do check it out. Um, if you feel like you want to go to the cinema this weekend. Yes, and you know, uh, there are worse places you could be. Well, as long as they're still open. Yes, as long as they're still open. Um, be careful who's and, sitting behind you. Yes, and, and, and don't go, of course, if you're sick. In all seriousness, don't go if you're sick. If you feel sick in any way, shape or form, stay home. Stay hydrated. Stay healthy and uh, and you know. Stay woke. This sounds like a Jerry Springer outro. Well, no, I'm, I'm just trying to make sure that care of people don't fucking die. It's, you know, I'm just trying to do my bit. I'm it's doing good. my bit. Yes, yes. Carry yeah. on, Chris. Carry this on. This is inspirational. It is. It is. This is your St. Crispin's Day. Yes, it really is. Today we, we celebrate. Few. We happy few. We band of buggered. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. We aim to misbehave. <laughs> on I mean, that now note. we're just mixing up Joss Whedon references. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, on that note, uh, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week, fingers crossed, for more film-related fun. Assuming, of course, there are any films to be released. Uh, we shall see what happens. But we will be joined on the Empire Podcast by a guest I've already spoken to and we did shake hands. No! So if he has it, then I have it, and if I had it, then he has it. Yes, that's It is, of course, the star of Radioactive, Sam Riley. Sam Riley on the Empire Podcast. (laughs) Very exciting. Um, Anyway, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. (laughs) It is goodbye, of course, from James Dyer. Good. Bye. Exhausted after having contributed so much to the review have, section. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much so I just wandered out of the room to do other things. He just merrily walked yeah. out, came back in again. Haven't seen any of these films. I get used to that. We're not going to be seeing anything in future. <laughs> at least, at least my part in this podcast won't um, really change. We're really selling the upcoming episodes of this podcast. <laughs> Our guests are probably dead. The films are probably not released, <laughs> and there'll be there's, no news. There's no news to talk about. Yeah. Delighted to be joined, of course, by Alex Goffrey. Goodbye for him. I'm going home to self-isolate <laughs> until the morning when I will see you again. <laughs> yes, indeed. And of course, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Totally. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to think about more songs where Dracula could have joined the Beatles. For example, A hard day's bite. 
ah, ah, I've been working oh. like a bat. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. That's very good. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Maybe. Bye. Oh, God.